Today, I'm having a guest with Sean McIlrath, Chief Creative Officer here at Iris Worldwide. And it's uh, unlike the other ones I filmed uh, on the actual banks of the river. It's a beautiful day. And um, thanks for taking time out of your uh, obviously packed schedule. But we were just talking off mic a minute ago about how the schedules are changing rapidly as the markets are. Uh, why don't we start just by giving me a picture of what's going on out there at the moment? I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of people making plans, breaking plans, worrying about plans, planning. Uh, and, and I think what we're seeing is uh, some of the plans that were in existence have just been canned uh, and people are retrenching, coming up with new ideas and, and, and you know, literally, as, uh, as you just said, the, the market is as volatile as the markets. You yeah. know, people, are, people aren't quite sure uh, whether the existing strategy they had is going to be sustainable and therefore they're moving to become much more tactical at the moment. That's my experience. Anyway. So at the front end of it, which um, I, I, I describe agencies as being at the front end of it insofar as you're directly with the brands and mm. they're usually directly in a relationship with the consumer. Um, at the front end of it, how long has it felt genuinely volatile? Because for the for anyone who might possibly be watching in the future, uh, it is October 27th, 2022. And a rough recent timeline uh, of domestic affairs is uh, Boris Johnson resigned as prime minister at the beginning of the summer. Mm. We had a sort of reality show over the summer of Truss or Sunak. Truss got in, there was an emergency budget and that sent financial markets into a fit of panic, which caused, you know, a, a, a subsequent effect of potential rise in interest rates, which basically hits the middle class. And so they threw this trust straight out because that's, you know, the who votes conservative, if not homeowners. Um, but that was about, what, four or five weeks ago that all that started? Yeah, uh, but I would say most clients have been anticipating this for quite some time. I think they've seen the softening in sales through the towards the end of the summer. And then I think a lot of C-suite decisions were being made maybe two months ago mm -hmm. uh, around, you know, I, they're, they're either going for it or they're not going for it. And I think a lot of the people, you know, the first, it's like a canary in a cold mine. You know, the first thing you hear in a downturn is let's, let's cut our advertising budgets. Right. The second thing you hear is the ad industry going, you should be advertising the whole way through this. Uh, and, you know, um, but the fact that uh, there is so much advertising uh, being cut, I think, is probably down to the fact that it's the advertising industry saying this. You think that the advertising industry um, actually perhaps uh, exacerbates the damage by saying you should be upping your spend on us. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it, it, maybe not exacerbates. It's just it's it's not credible. It's not as credible coming from the it's not self serving coming yep. from the industry saying saying you need to be a, in, in spite of the fact that there are libraries of well documented evidence that shows continued investment in the brand through a recession is a is 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 a really good thing to do. It's it's a it's a Pavlovian reaction, mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's CFOs just taking chainsaws to their yeah. to their marketing budgets because it's the first it's an easily controllable uh outgoing as in so because most businesses exist on a straightforward money in money out situation at some level you can simplify it all to yeah. the balance sheet income and outgoings and the significant outgoings that are harder to cut i'm imagining as someone who's never really you know, run a big business are things like wages and you know you don't the, the the worst thing anyone wants to ever say or hear is redundancies yeah and um so the first thing you will instead go for is your very expensive um soho based you know uh, advertising agency with five floors and eye-watering costs for big promotion they just see that as a much more compassionate cut yeah it's a, it's a it's a it's a tricky thing and a lot of organizations are all different so it's it's difficult to general generalize about it but uh, a lot of organizations view marketing as a cost as opposed to an investment. And you know, that that is a simple accountancy view yeah. that makes it really difficult to justify. Whereas if you say this, this organization exists primarily 
because of its relationship with consumers. Should we not be investing in that at this point in time? Uh, I think you might view it differently, but you know, it's it it, it is an accountancy first um, point of view. Where were you in? 2008, which I think is the most recent example of similar yeah. worries. I joined here in 2008, actually, interestingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm seeing a lot of the you know similar, similar behaviors. What tends to happen in a recession uh, in, in Adland is organizations like ARIS, which uh, more generalized creative problem solving uh, becomes, uh, you know, we do quite well in, in downturns historically. Because you don't just do pure promotion. You advise on different creative ways to get across to your customers. Yeah, and, and what I'd say is we, 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 we will never sell advertising if we don't think advertising is the right solution. Right. You know, sort of, it's, it, we, because, we've got, because we're fortunate enough to have so many disciplines in house, so, so many ways of solving a problem that we can look at and go, okay, we get that you do not have the money to put into a massive brand investment at this this moment in time. But if we do this, this and this, yep. then that's going to really help you with the budget you, you've got. So it's a, a and, you know, it, there is an ability, there, there's nothing, we, as an industry, we're at our most obnoxious when we sell our product at the expense of potentially selling the client's product. When we're flog, trying to flog advertising, when advertising isn't necessarily the right solution. And, you know, that can be, it may not necessarily be the right solution for a variety of reasons, one of which may be you just don't have the money to do the job properly. Yeah. Chris, our videographer who uh, is is never seen but always there, um, will testify to the fact that I mention Mad Men in every single podcast. Right. And I think (laughs) that's obviously because we're talking about advertising and very much like an Aaron Sorkin drama, you know, a fictionalized account of advertising has in it all of the things that you would like to say in, you know, an idealized version of what you would be like in real life, you know, these perfect pictures where the clients just go, whoa, that's so good, here's all the money. Um, There's a moment where Draper says, I sell products, not advertising. Mm. And that's kind of what you were expressing there. It's kind of like what the Saatchi brothers said at the beginning of their journey, which is that you have to imagine that you are the one with the inventory that needs to be shifted. You are not just selling your greatness you're actually selling your clients whatever they're doing it it may be with the my tenure and i've been doing this for for like 30 years now that you become more and more aware of the fact that they behind the advertising brief is a company there's like the marketing department who you're dealing with there may be the c-suite that you're presenting to when it's like a big campaign but behind that there are the warehouses and the factory there are a lot of people's jobs on the line yeah and yeah, uh, it it's really it's quite humbling. Yeah. So you, it does when when you see that when you're aware of that you it, it you become it becomes beholden on you to you know do the right thing. And actually, the the whole the whole um, way that Aris has been built up in terms of lots of dis- different disciplines working together is because it's given us the ability to offer unbiased solution. You know? yeah. If you're a, if you sell advertising, if that's all you've got, you're always going to sell it. You're always it's that old thing if you're a hammer. Yeah. Everything's going to look like a nail uh, and and it it's it, it's so it's so important especially today. You know, once upon a time advertising was a kind of a, a penicillin a cure all. But the you know the the reality is because of technology over the last few years you can cut right through to the reality of the product and you know they say and it's especially true uh, at the moment so uh, Warren Buffett has a quote that says when the tide goes out about investment he says when the tide goes out uh, you can see who's who's swimming naked and the tr- the same is true of advertising in the recession when you cut your advertising budget when you remove the cosmetic of advertising, you see the reality of the product and it isn't always very pretty. And the reason it isn't always very pretty is because a lot of companies, and I've sat in a lot of boardrooms, so I I know that a lot of companies are too disconnected from their consumers. They're going through the motions of marketing and they... Uh, they think they're doing the right thing. They're playing lip service to it. But then if you say, how are you really competing to create a better experience for your customer? There'll be a lot of blank faces in the room. 
similar to the Warren, the, the Warren Buffett quote you just mentioned, you're saying when the market turns down and uh, things become more economically challenging, you will see who's really creative yeah. and you will see who's actually working to a formula. Yeah. Okay. And that that has always been a bit of my bugbear and I'm on the record for the for having to go at the industry about this quite a bit, is that our definition of creativity is so limited. It's and films and pictures it, yeah, and, and words. And how creative is that as a solution? Mm-hmm. And and also we're in the business of differentiation. And if your ability to differentiate your offering boils down to having a slightly funnier or more surreal sales skit this month than a competitor. Then you've you you know you've hobbled yourself. We're, we're toast. So we've got to, as an organisation, look to. Now, I, for me, it was about going back to what is the core function of an agency, and the core function of an agency historically has been a creative intermediary between brands and consumers. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, that was on behalf. We deployed creativity on behalf of the brand to change the behaviour of the consumer. That was pre-internet. Right. So now, I would say. The, the future version of it, or the current version here, but the way the industry has to go is that we, we should, it's a dialogue and we should be able to deploy creativity on behalf of the customer to change the behavior of the organization as well. We should be able to go back to our clients and go, you know what's screwing up here is that y- your service is terrible. And actually, if we have a think about this, we can make this really fun. Mm-hmm. We can make this really enjoyable for cons- customers. Or, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, we, we all got into the business for, you know, to, to create ads that our, our mums would see or our mates would see, to create a poster or a, a TV ad, to create a presence mm-hmm. for a product. And actually, more and more of what we do here the most creative work actually creates an absence. It's an idea that removes, create, you know, that, that ends up, you know, the way it manifests is an absence of a cue, of a complaint, of, you know, uh, of, of something that is disagreeable. It's, so for us, it's really about deploying creativity at every touch point of the, uh, uh, where the consumer might come into contact with the organisation. A lot of reductive behaviour, trying to reduce the negatives instead of merely just either transforming the negatives or accentuating the positives. Yeah, and, and a, a lot of what we do is map the barriers between the, the brand and the, the consumer. And then the, my definition of good creative is anything that ingeniously removes a barrier or creates another reason to engage with the company. And the removal of a barrier is the precondition for... Uh, the transformation in advertising that you're talking about. Now, that's a very wordy sentence, sounds a bit pretentious, but what I mean is, uh, you talked about the fact that at one point, uh, advertising was a penicillin cure-all monologue, you said off mic as well, Mm. which is to say that there was a narrow uh, selection of media channels. Yeah. And if you could afford to be a loud voice on them, then you would win yeah. a, a share of the market. Yeah, yeah. And then roughly 2002 to 2008, the landscape transforms and all of a sudden everyone has a way of talking back. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, you. it sounds like you were describing one of the USPs of Iris is that you try and think of ways to get to people on all of those new levels, not just these big... Uh, brand communication channels that we're all nostalgic about the glory yeah. days of, yeah, and they're not coming back. They're not coming. They're not coming back. I mean, I think film has had a renaissance uh, in the last uh, ten or eleven years because because we all like to watch. It's a very you know it works in the digital medium. It's it's a quick way to create an emotive connection with your consumer. So that's not that's not going to go away, but. It's it's just it's it's a tiny part of the journey. Mm-hmm. You know? um, people, there's a lot of chat these days about CX, but I was I've always thought that everything is customer experience, mm-hmm. and and advertising is a part of CX. Yeah, that's the way I experience it on television, or that's the way I experience it on my way to work, uh, on a poster. But it's it, it you know we've all worked on brands where we've done some some really good advertising it's killed the brand because the brand was terrible right you know so the, 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 there's an old saying that the fastest way to kill a brand is good a bad brand is good advertising 
Why because, is it because people are too suspicious about the smoke and mirrors? Because people try, it drives people to try the product and oh. the product is poor and therefore that, you know, they'll never do it again. So, so there is a, you know, it is beholden on us to be more creative in our approach to, to brands generally and say, and because we're customer representatives in this, in, in the, in the room. So if we go, yeah, but yeah, we, we, you know, it's a difference between product propaganda. Yeah, yeah, we can go out and sing your song as beautifully and, and as poetically as, as we possibly can. But the reality is, as a, as a punter, I used your service the other day and it was terrible. Yep. And, and you need to fix this and this. And, and that's not just anecdotally. It's not just me, an obnoxious yep. ad bloke sitting in your boardroom telling you that your product's poor. Here, listen to a whole of your consumers. Yep. So... You can spend a lot of money creating advertising that flushes people down the funnel, but if it's a leaky funnel, you're you're wasting your money. So, yeah. so it's not about you know great creativity for from the future of our industry shouldn't just be about creating better comms. It should be about creating better companies, and the reason for that is because these days, what a company is is far more eloquent than what the company says. Mm-hmm. And we we can access that in a second online. Right. Uh, we can access, you know, the 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 reality of the organization beyond the myth of the brand. I can't remember if um I can't remember if when we spoke uh a few weeks back came mm. to just just test the ground to see if the conversation would be good. I can't remember if we spoke about um the uh What's the what's the word I'm looking for? The over enthusiasm in um, you know Adland discussion circles about things like the metaverse, mm-hmm. you know about uh, the betting on the brilliance of future comms channels that don't yet exist, yeah, and kind of not really ma- making the most of what we've got right now. Yeah, I think I think there's a there's a rush to the new, a fascination with the new in the industry that is. Yeah, it, on one hand is is absolutely right. On the other hand, is a little excessive and puppy like in terms of its enthusiasm. And what you know, we jump there often quite a bit before consumers do, and we get overexcited about it. And what I notice is I've seen this happen quite a few times now over the years. Is the first people into the new technologies or the new disciplines are the smoke and mirrors guys that they they're, they're the salesmen they they don't they can't actually do it more often than not but they have all the language mm-hmm. and they make they they make a living out of going into boardrooms and baffling people saying this is going to transform you into the leader of everything yeah and and all the jargon is there and everybody goes oh wow jargon yeah. that's yeah and then the second generation are the people the simplifiers the people who come in and go, actually, this is just another way of doing that. Mm-hmm. And if we do it like this, it'll really work. And so, uh, you know, I would say be wary of the of the first wave of of jargon wielding yeah. berserkers, and and wait for the you know wait 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 for the, you know keep an eye on it. And and you know they're not all talking bollocks, but quite a lot of them are. And and look for the timeless principles. I think it was John Hegarty said. Practices may change, but principles remain the same. Yeah, I was reminded of that when you mentioned before um, going to see the, you know, the actual working end of the brands that you represent, mm. and seeing whose whose lives are on the line uh, when you're trying to promote, you know, increase their sales. Um, there's some. Uh, I think there's another advert ad industry sort of legend about Hegarty touring the uh, Audi production facility and. Coming up with Deutsch technique. Yeah, well, I, I probably butchered that because I don't speak German. But um, <laughs> uh, do you think that's the value of going to see the working end of it? You get to see like this is this is the oh, this is the real part of the business. God, yes, yeah, yeah. And the other thing is this sort of endless, the endless nas- navel gazing. And the, uh, one of the issues with the with our industry is we hire clever people and we pay them to be clever and we don't pay them to be simple and simple is clever you know is it's so i have uh, you know i've been in countless meetings where people are wanging on about gen z and you know they've, they've got all these statistics and facts and you know, my kids are gen z and i literally every friday night i have the in effect a gen z focus group yes. going on in my kitchen 
and they are they're pretty much the same as we were you know their they their language is different and their their views are 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 in some cases more enlightened in some cases not and they're you know but they're 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 pretty much the same so we create a science we we feel the need to dress stuff up as as being clever when actually we should be stripping it back and finding what's simple and true yeah. about it like uh we sell or else yeah you know um on the gen z point you mentioned uh i i do share i do share the frustration there which to say that every um firstly i feel like what happens is every generation of teenagers necessarily creates their own culture purely so that they do not have anything in common with their parents. Yeah. That's the point of it. Yeah. And then we make the assumption that we've seen all the teenagers that there are ever going to be now. And then, oh, no, there's another cohort and they're really weird compared yeah. to the last one. It's just what teenagers are. The yeah. point of them is to distance themselves from the adults. Yeah. And I don't think they would appreciate all these marketing agencies generating no, big reports to try and they understand They would absolutely them. hate it. And, and yeah. Again, what what is the point of it? It's something that's been packaged up to be sold. Yes. And is it to me you look like an expert yeah, consultant? Yeah, yeah. It's and it's 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 a racket. It, I would much rather have somebody come in here and tell me one real truth, one amazing insight. You don't need 70 slides to 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 do that. And and uh, it's a bit like business books, you mm-hmm. know. Business books are a flawed medium because more often than not, there, there is somebody's got one good idea, one really good observation. But to sell a book, you need 300 pages. Yes. So they've stretched out forever and it's painful. And you know. Eventually it's transparent. It's sort of stretched <laughs> yes, out yeah, so thin. Yeah. yeah. The other thing um, uh, about Gen Z, you kind of mentioned that there's often this heavy implication that they are in some special way more morally enlightened than any generation that's ever come before them. And I feel like that, again, is very also characteristic of uh, youth culture generally. The punk movement was the same. Yeah. And the punks are all now in their 60s, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And and the boomers were the original hippies. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's 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 true of a time and it's it's also it's also a, re- a reaction. The, the boomers of the 60s, were reacting to the conformity of post-war parents yep. who were just, you know, who they saw as wage slaves. Yeah. And and everything, as you say, is a reaction. Uh, and it's interesting to watch that and monitor it. But I think, I think they, yeah, it's a difficult, it's such a, it's such a difficult area. I think they're much more aware of how they should be seen. Mm-hmm. And they, they, um, and they're very good. They're, they're one thing I am amazed by is how articulate they are about mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I, I went down to Falmouth to the advertising course to give them a, a, a brief for CAM, and I, I'm blown away by how, how articulate they were uh, about about that. And I think that's that's a that's a really good thing. Uh, on one hand. I was also slightly worried by within that. The, I, I began to question. You know, when something is, when you're told you suffer from something, mm-hmm. you suffer from depression, or you're, you, it's. Uh, it, we didn't have the vocabulary for it, and therefore, we were we we were having a bad day. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I'm not. Uh, you know, my wife's a a trauma therapist, so I'm not trivializing this. There are there were people then, yeah, who had yeah, yeah. There are people at all times who have very serious mental illnesses or or traumas, but. For the most of us, you know, just bobbing along through the day, you know, we'd have we'd have down days, we'd have up days. Mm-hmm. We weren't told we were suffering from something. We certainly weren't being marketed pills. Yeah. So when you hear marketing in 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 medical care, marketing terms in medical care, that yeah, that that's when I start to worry about. It puts people's guard up. Yeah. But um, but nonetheless, you were saying about Gen Z's, uh, you know, the powers of articulation and knowledge on this subject. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's something I hadn't really considered until now. That every again, every generation of youth culture. Uh, had something that's just about filtered through to become mainstream just as they're taking up, you know, their uh, their place in the world. And uh, I feel like mental health is probably the one for Gen Z. For us, I, th- I think I can say with some degree of confidence that it was climate change because mm-hmm. it, was, it was mainstream enough to be taught in geography and science when yeah. I was in school. Yeah. And I imagine, respectfully, I'm not going to uh, ask when <laughs> you were at school, uh, but I imagine that wasn't on the curriculum. 
No, uh, that there was the early eighties when I left school. So it would. So I think we were, we were pretty much back where we are now. We were like, was Russia going to nuke us? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had a ultra right wing government. Mm-hmm. We had, uh, you know, there's there's there is a lot of. Um, the, 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 there are a lot of comparisons to be yeah. drawn between them, but no, climate wasn't really on on, on the. We were we were being taught to told that we needed to prepare for the era of leisure because that was what technology was going to bring in. Right. If only they knew. Yes. If only, if they, only knew they knew that what we are is basically we are capacity fillers. If, yeah. if we have more headroom, we will fill it with more work. Yeah. So all of the things that provide us with. Uh, leisure time actually provided us with just more work time. Yeah, you know. Yeah, technology did not free us at all. It it it, in, it has enslaved us to uh, to an incredible you know, degree. Yes, I remember seeing something went very uh, viral on uh, advertising LinkedIn a couple of years ago. Uh, someone said, "Do you remember?" Again, it's nostalgia for the old days of narrow comms channels. Um, do you remember when advertising was just, you know, I don't know, turning up and having. I don't work in advertising, as you can tell, but, you know, creative concepting, meeting with the clients, doing the work, basically that. And they said, now it's all just Zooms and Teams and you have to do decks and these 70 Uh, slide presentations. And basically we found a load of creative new ways to play with all these gadgets and use them when when pitching. Yeah, I think, I mean, we are an industry in flux and if you take a step back and look at what's happened to the industry over the... Uh, you know, since that golden era. So if you if you look at it back in the 70s and 80s, advertising effectively owned the manufacturing and distribution of commercial messages, the advertising industry. So As in they owned all media. If channels. you wanted to make an ad, you went to an advertising industry. I mean, of course, you could do like a crappy local ad like they st- people still do. There but, was no Google. But there's no Google. And 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 if you wanted to place an ad, you did it through the advertising agency. So 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 manufacturing and distribution was owned by the industry. Then distribution got hived off, so media agencies became separate. Then then um, the the internet came along, and you've got your Googles, you've got you've got social media. Mm-hmm. People can pu- self publish, brands can can publish, and then you then, and at the same time, you've kids got doing amazing stuff in their bedrooms on their iPhones that are funnier and more and quicker and more relevant than agencies are producing over nine months. Yes, so you've got an industry that is has got some real skills but has not been able yet to work out how to apply them uh, and at the same time you've got you you've got a, a financial model that is a bit fucked because it's based on the old way because it's based on the old way and they're still coming to terms with you know there's not a realization that we've lost the manufacturing distribution so you know you look at you look at different sorts of agencies where you where you've got content creators uh, and and um, you've got you know you've got a different platform. Content creators control the manufacturing and distribution. They they own the audience, and they make it themselves. Who so, are you describing here? I'm like a Mr. Beast, or a, yep. yeah. So you've got and you know you take you take that model where first of all you've got your audience, then you've got brands approaching you, then you've got then you you are the brand. And then you're opening your burger chains and your, your whatever. So there's there's some really fascinating stuff happening mm-hmm. out there, but it's happening organically. And, and when you are a big group, a big legacy network mm. that's been around forever, you've got machinery that you're going to have to dismantle. Uh, but you know, how do you do that when people still pay for it? And yeah. there is a belief in the organisation that that's what we do, and mm. we've got to sell that. And, and, protect at all costs. So I suppose in real terms, it's only been very recently that it's transformed in, in the last 20 years. Yeah. That big Google I, transformation. I think, yeah, definitely. And then the, and, and like, and everything seismic, the ripples, you know, the, you know, the ripples were there, mm-hmm. but the, uh, but we're really feeling it now, I think. Do you remember the first time seeing that a brand had, I don't know, a social media department being like, what? Yeah. That wasn't there two days ago. Yeah, I, yeah, I think, I mean, there's, again, there's so much ability to in-house now because you can control the manufacturing and, 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 and the distribution, you can do it yourself. So 
I think, you know, you, you look at in-housing's quite interesting. Uh, I think I think some of it's really good, you mm. know. And historically, the, the first brand that I was aware of doing it themselves was Specsavers. Yeah. Did a brilliant job. Yeah. Yeah, really good. And, um, you know, some have done it less successfully, but it's a, you know, it's, it's, it ain't going to go away, nor should it. Yeah, it's... Um... It sounds like one of the things that you... Uh, it sounds like a, a burden of responsibility you're placing on the industry is you've actually got to be what it says on the tin. You actually have to be creative. Yeah. You can't just be using those same old techniques. And also, non-creative adaptations to the new climate are just as in uh, insubstantial. You can't, for example, just hire an influencer to put yeah. your brand's clothing on or whatever and just hope that does the job. We live in a world where everyone is creative. You know, yes. that's, the, that's the phrase. And so therefore, if you have creative in your job title or the title of your business, if you work in a creative agency, it is beholden upon you to actually do something fucking creative, you know. Yeah. And that, that can be... You know, that can be bigger or small, but you know what I what I slightly despair about the, the industry is that we 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 should be having these debates, mm. like really having these debates. We should be working out um, what is poor legacy behaviour, what you know where we need to be leaning in the future. I think I think we're probably all a bit too competitive to have those conversations openly because we what we're worried about giving our IP away or uh, yeah, just looking bad in front of yeah I, I, maybe yeah probably. Mm. But it's like, I, I'm a great believer in, you know, it's like an idea is worthless unless it happens. Yeah. So just, you know, and, and you know, we, we're not all going to be around forever. So just get it out there. And yeah. if it happens, then, you know, you, you, can, you, you, you can profit from that. You can, you know, even if you don't do it yourself, you can see how somebody else is doing it and do the next iteration of it. You know, there's a... Uh, um, Back in the day, I set up a company called Heresy, and it was quite a. It was a different. It was. It was doing. We set it up out of HHCL, and it was a. It was a radical sort of customer centric agency, which was about creating Wait, is this better the brands. You set it with Lord Bell. Yes. Right. Yes, he was backing it, and um, he. Uh, you know, we created brands like Acado, and it was, it was really detailed. Sort of, how do you create something that consumers are really going to want? But. Then we hit a recession, and um, the we, we end up becoming more of an advertising agency. Weirdly, because the clients wanted that, and you know, the clients certainly the clients that we were getting were worried about bigger, more you know bigger. We were really set up to do big launches post dot com. Right. Um, but t Lord Bell said something. We didn't really get on uh, much, but he he did say something. That at that time that I found really fascinating and true, which was, he said, when you're in the service industry, darling, because that's the way he spoke, <laughs> when you're in the service industry, darling, it really doesn't pay to be too far ahead of your market. And and actually, he's absolutely, he was absolutely right. Bless Why is that? Because no one knows what you sell or how to use yeah, it. Yeah, because, you, because you're in the, you, yeah, if, you, if you're a service industry, you've, you've got to be there to fulfill a need. You can't be ahead of the need. And, and, you know, the same is true of any form of innovation. It's not the people who create the innovation that make the money often. It's the, it's the second wave yeah. that come in and pick it up and do something practical and useful with it. So, um, so yeah, I can't remember where that was going. Well, it rem the, the last thing you said reminded me of the principle of, you know, the, the person who starts a movement is not the initiator, it's the first follower. You know, yeah. it's the first one to actually yeah. get on board with them. And... Um, it, it took me back to what we were saying about the fascination around new things like meta, about being too far ahead of the market. Yeah. And um, you were alluding to a method of sales, which I, I don't have a huge amount of respect for, which is obfuscating and trying to look um, so complicated and confusing that people assume they're too stupid to get it and it must be really valuable. Yes, you know, yes. Yeah. You favour being much... It was simpler, gen, across the board. Mm -hmm. I look at industries that complicate and go, you're hiding something. You know, the financial industry, I go, what, why does it have to be so complicated? Yep. And, and it's because there's an, entire, there's an entire industry built out of, you know, the intermediary market is there to make sure that you... It's too complex. Yeah, it's too complex. Let me simplify that for you. And, and uh, you know, uh, and you look at the car industry. We launched Cinch. We created the brand... Um, and the whole thing was around the problem is it's 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 complicated and you know 
for most people, not for petrol heads, petrol heads love the complication. They're like, they're like geeks, tech geeks. They love the complexity because they can understand it and it's, you know, they, it's a language they want to speak. But for your average Joe, for you, me, and, you know, for our mums, we loathe it. And when you go into a, a car dealership and they start with the jargon, you're suddenly you're out of control. And when you're out of control, you're being sold to mm. and you begin to lock down. We, so we're basically saying we just need to make it, we, the, our job is to remove the faff. Our job is to make it easy for people. And Cinch was born. So it's about, you know, there is a big market in simplifying uh, categories. Yeah. And, and, you know, there is a, that is a, is a key role to come into a market and be the simplifier, especially those complex markets. Yeah. And especially like we've been sort of the theme that's pervaded this whole discussion is, uh, the world feels like it's complicating all the time. The technology is improving so rapidly, we can almost see it moving past us right yes. before our eyes. And that causes anxiety because yeah. partially for the reasons of uh, things moving quickly, it can make you feel like you're aging quickly and becoming less relevant. But, you know, it can just feel like uh, the things are moving beyond your control. So simplification is a good way to put people's mind at rest instead of adding to the chaos. Yes, and I, 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 I've yet to see a situation made better by complexity. Mm, that's... <laughs> Generally true that that if you can simplify, I think Einstein said, if you can't explain it simply enough, you don't understand it well enough. Mm. And uh, it's, it, you know, one of the, one of the benefits of getting older is that you begin to look for the truth, the simplicity. What is, what is it that we're actually trying, trying to, to say here, or what is it that we're actually trying to do here? And the complexity, you, you know, it becomes it becomes an anathema. You sort yeah. of start to develop rashes when people go <laughs> off on one. Drayton Bird, the great writer, um, who I'm hoping to interview while he's still alive, um, he's uh, referred me, well, not referred his LinkedIn community to a uh, Churchill quote, and it was it was in a discussion about good copy. Yeah, because uh, I don't know if this has always been the case, or I'm just paying more attention to it now. I have an interest in the industry feels like there's a, a, a real, real uh, obsession with, let's say, you know, on her, uh, hero films or just moving image content uh, generally, filling it with copy, making the script go mm -hmm. from one end mm -hmm. all the way to the mm -hmm. other. You know, unlike, well, some good ads have just a tiny bit at the end, you know. Um, Drayton Bird referred to a Churchill quote. He said, use words everyone knows, then everyone will understand. Yes, yes. I think that's, I mean, that's 100% that's, uh, true. But the other especially writing for film, people need to realise that is that is a different, a radically different definition of writing because, you know, you shouldn't be, doesn't mean you're writing words. You can write silence in a film. You can write, an emo, you know, a, a moment in a film. Uh, and, and I, I you know, I, I talk to a lot of the junior teams here coming in. It's like, don't write, don't write your dad. That is too full of dialogue. Yeah, you're not Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, I'm, we're, we're not that great at it. Write it. Right, now show me the same script with no dialogue. And then let's see see what is essential and what isn't here. Trying to do it in like Hitchcock's idea of pure cinema where you should be able to know what's going on without dialogue. Yeah, yeah. And actually it's sort of generally... Unless you are really, really good, you're not going to do it. You know, you're going to... I, I see people repeating that, that you know, I, I've written something that looks like an ad. Mm. I've written something that sounds like ad dialogue or a jingle. And, you know, that's when you should be, as opposed to going, I've done it, you should be going, oh, I fucked it. Yeah. <laughs> I've just done what everybody else does. If it sounds and looks like formula, then it, that's by definition what yeah. it is. Uh, the the most painful thing is when some when it can be characterized to the point of caricature. Someone made a TikTok the other day, or maybe an Instagram reel that one of my um, um, colleagues at Gas Music sent to me. Uh, he said, uh, "If they can, if if punters can get advertising into this small of a box successfully, then we're doing something wrong." And he said, "You know, all British adverts sound like this. It was like." You know the all night revisers yeah, and uh, something like that. Yeah. I've seen it. It's and I and I've, I show it to the teams here. It's it's you know, how did we get to a place where it's that easy to, to just sort to, of Betjeman-esque? Yeah, yeah, listing poetry. It's um, it's really lazy. It's but like sort of slightly rhymy, mood filmy guff, and and you know consumers. It's just. Woof. And when you think you're putting a ton of media money behind something like that, it's it's 
it, it is genuinely madness. Yeah. Yeah. The, there's a great film called Art and Copy. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, it was made uh, maybe 10, uh, 10, 15 years ago, and it interviewed sort of uh, all, all the big big names in advertising sort of post. It was around the time of the first sort of early ad, uh, Mad Men. And uh, there was a woman from uh, Nike, head of brand back in the day, and she was despairing about it. She said, if you look at the shit on our TV screens, she goes... That was presented in a boardroom somewhere with a lot of intelligent people and not one of them, not one of them put their hand up and went, is anybody going to find this interesting? Mm. Uh, is this good? And I think, I think, again, back to the complexity, you can put so much complexity around something that you, yeah, everybody goes, well, I'm, I, it must be good because mm. uh, we've been through a really complex process. Whereas if you put apply some simplicity to it and say, one, is it going to is it impactful? So are people going to notice? And two, is it going to say something that's going to make me want to do something? You don't need to do it. You don't need to do anything else. Yeah, is that is that? So back to back to the horrors of complexity. It, it, it it's it's not only um, bad to live through in, in terms of your working process. It leads to appalling. It leads to some of the worst results. Yeah. And, and and you see it again in that sort of box ticky type advertising. You know when somebody's had to, somebody's given you a list. And Make sure these people yeah, it's uh, got engage. It's got to cover all these. Mm. Yeah, I, we need to, it needs to say all these things. Yeah. And it's like, okay. You know, there's an old saying that positioning is sacrifice. So what are you prepared to sacrifice in terms of to, to get your message across? In the same way that um, uh, basically all businesses or, you know, people trying to access a market will say, well, we're everyone, we're just for everyone. Mm. You know, we serve everything. We serve, you know, restaurants started doing it in about, I don't know, it felt like in the decade that I was, uh, when I was working in hospitality. Yeah. All like uh, gastro pubs started serving everything. They yeah, started yeah, doing yeah. curry, they started doing yeah. breakfast, they started doing, uh, it's like, it's it's clearly a, uh, it's a clear uh, attempt to try and appeal to every single market. You saw it happen someone does a great deconstruction of the Star Wars prequels in the early part of this century, that there was a clear need to have a kind of toy that would appeal to every kind of child, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It's it's generally a recipe for disaster. I don't think I've... I've only seen it done well once, once that I liked it, uh, which was um, Victoria Bitter. It was an Australian ad done, I think, by Droga back in the day. Mm -hmm. And it was basically calling out all the different types of beer drinkers. And you could see that the brief was this beer appears to everybody and somebody had gone, oh, no. <laughs> but they really worked on it. Yeah. And they'd made, it was great. It was a great, it's worth Googling. It's Victoria Bitter. And I think the line is whatever flag you fly under or something, whatever banner you fly under. Yeah. Um, but it's just a procession. It's done It's done like a procession of people going to a pub. Yeah. All different types of people and it calls them all out. But you've seen it happening a lot in the last five years or so of everyone trying to be like, yeah, we appeal to every sector of the market. Yeah. You know, and uh, when you're when you appeal to everything, you kind of, by definition, appeal to no one, right? Yeah, and I think, I think a lot of these behaviours are driven by fear. You know, it's just a, well, we can't rule anybody, anybody out. We've mm. got to. And, and again, you, there are a lot of, there are a lot of negative behaviors in the process of creating good advertising and marketing that, uh, that come from fear. So you'll see juniorizing, you'll see an over-reliance on research. Juniorizing, um, sorry. Juniorizing, it's, yeah, oh, I, I'm sending junior people to the meeting. Got it. I, I'm not, I'm not there. I wasn't there when that decision was made. Ah, yes. Um, <laughs> you see, you, you'll see, um, research, uh, tons of research, way too much research. Yeah. Uh, there's no sense of, of, of actually an informed gut instinct. And I don't mean gut instinct as in a crazy sort of, oh, let's take a winger on this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, I know what I want to say. I, I, I believe that's going to do it for us. Yes. So there's a sort of, yeah, I, all these behaviors are kicking up dust around. Actually, I'm, I'm, this is a high, highly dangerous situation for me professionally to be in because mm -hmm. it's going to be very visible mm -hmm. and I don't want somebody going well why is that only appealing to this section of the market because 
even if I say, well, that is the most profitable section of the market, they may go, yeah, but you've just excluded 30% of, you know. Yeah. So you end up with something, sorry, you end up with something blander that is, um, that, that actually doesn't really appeal to anybody, but on this, on the, on the surface ticks all the boxes. Yeah, it's like there's a thing Roy Sutherland says in Alchemy about one times 10 not being the same as 10 times one. Yes. And that's kind of, I know that sounds like waffly and irrelevant, but it, it's, it's, it's that fear of saying, well, there's 10, let's say there's, you know, 10 sec sectors of the marketplace and it's better to appeal to, you know, each one in each of those yeah, sectors yeah. than just to all of one of them. I think it was Bernback who said, you know, if you're going to stand for something, yes, people will stand against you, but people will stand for you. If you don't stand for anything, no one will stand for you and no one will stand against you. Yeah. So it's like, it's it's working out what you believe. I, I've always said, and it's a great quote by a guy called Roy Disney. Um, I don't know who Roy Disney is. I think he's a, a sort of sibling of, of Walt. Hmm. Uh, but he said, um, decisions are very easy to make once you know what your values are. Once you know what you stand for, then, then it's really easy to make a decision. Yep. When you don't know, when you're trying to appeal to everybody, it's very difficult. So I think there is a thing personally, professionally, from a brand point of view, is know what you stand for and, and stick to it. Yes, yes. And that, that, the thing to stand for cannot just be get money. Yeah. Because there's a million ways to do that. You need yeah. to. Nils Leonard said that at some talk or other. I saw him saying, you know, a lot of agencies just set up and say, well, we're great, so you should use us. Yeah. And you need to have like a an actual mission statement. And it sounds like where we started off. You know, the mission statement here is uh, you have to actually adapt creatively to your to what your consumers want and need. Uh, you're you can't be calling yourself creative agency if you're just basically an a an outsourcing production company for expensive yeah. media. Yeah, hundred percent. And you've got to look at the the money you spend in on marketing go who actually benefits from this because if you're just enriching media owners <laughs> yeah it's like you're wasting your money there if somebody said right i've got 20 million quid we need these amount of customers there's a much more creative way to get to 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 solve that problem than producing a a, a tv ad and spending just splurging it all yeah, on splurging the, it all on, on you know, with ITV, itv for a month <laughs> <laughs> sorry itv and also, also <laughs> it's like you know you will get um you can, it's really difficult. It's not like the old days where you get hit eighty percent of the population with one ad on ITV coronation. Yeah, no, it's not the Morecambe and Wise Christmas special anymore. No, hmm. no, they're, they're all over the place. I mean, you just look at you know, you. I look at my own family situation. There'd be four of us watching on, on you know with probably six different devices on the go. Yeah, um, and it's it, it's. It's 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 completely different. But the one thing that does travel, and what we talk about here, is is you know when you create something really interesting, really punchy or spiky or just funny, people will share it. And when you know, so that that becomes a goal because if you say if we set out to do that, if we get our market to share our work, if we get our market to do our marketing for us, your media budget explodes exponentially. Therefore, it becomes a really simple way of assessing creative work. Is like, how far will this idea travel before I have to put media money behind That's it? That's an immense principle. I never thought about that. Can you think of any good examples on the spot? There's, um, the, well, you get, you well, uh, this isn't an Iris one, but it, just Tesla in itself, you know, it's like you go... They don't put ads out. They don't, I've never seen them. But, you know, this is back to, you know, what you what you are speaks louder than what you say. It's like, I've never seen an ad from Tesla, but oh my God, how loud are Tesla enthusiasts <laughs> about everything? How loud is the media about yep. Tesla? So there's a thing that just says, actually their position, what they stand for is interesting enough for people to talk about. Their founder, what he stands for is interesting enough for people to talk about. So the, the you know, just, just creating something that is interesting in the first place putting it out there and, and again social enables us to do this you can put it out there if nobody picks up on it mm. then you 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 try again if if they do pick up on it you may want to go actually let's put media money behind that let's get yeah. that out there um but it's interesting to watch how it's developed uh, yeah i was i was talking the other day about we did this job a few years back for purdy's energy drinks uh, with idris elba and 
it was the the idea is Purdy's is a herbal energy drink and and it's going it's in the category with Red Bulls and Monsters and you know that is hyped up over caffeinated energy and it, it's about clubbing all night and the idea that we we had for Purdy's was actually. The insight we had was this is a gentler sort of energy and maybe it's like for, you know, it's to fuel something maybe more substantive, maybe something a bit deeper. So the idea was around uh, 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 fueling forgotten dreams, fueling forgotten ambitions. And we had uh, Idris going around asking people, what do you want to be when you grow up? And uh, people of all ages and saying, you know, you know, is that really what you wanted to be when when you were a kid? And why didn't you become that? And, you know, why have you given up that passion in your life? And um, uh, what what we find with this film was it went mental. It was like it went global. And interestingly, it got, uh, it got more shares and likes. And we were looking at that. Got loads of likes, but got more, it's the first thing we've ever done that had more shares than likes. And when you like something, it's because it's just you saying, I like it. When you share it, it's because it says something about you. Yeah. So, so we, were, so we went, oh, right. Okay. That's, that's a really interesting place to be, isn't it, as well? So there's like that in the true sense of what a brand says about me. Um, it, it, yeah, that, that, that's the power of a good insight. That's the power of something simple. I'm happy to actually share the work. Yeah. Like um, the one I always use, the example I use for that, just with just with an ad, is the uh, Audi. I think it was nineteen ninety five, um, with the obnoxious uh, stockbroker. Yes, yeah. Yes. Tell Charles I'm on the way, and um, we watched that uh, in our flat, and we watched it like three times because it was so funny. Yeah, and it's like a load of ads try and be funny, and yeah. you know. That's the acid test. Do people share it without having to put money behind yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I never thought about yeah. that. Um, but that that is that's that is at the heart of modern marketing. If you can get your market to do your marketing for you, job done. So therefore, re- reverse back from that to what sort of work is that going to take? And that that's going to have to be interesting. It's going to have to be challenging. It's going to have to be really fresh and original. And it's going to have to say something pretty unique and if we you know how many briefs do you does anybody see that has that on it well i don't think i could put a better full stop on it so um i think perhaps we'll uh, leave it there till next time but sean mckillra thank you for giving me this time and as what isn't what i'm now going to say as usual uh really interesting conversation thank you really enjoyed it thank you cheers sean cheers bye